Thank you for that prayer, Nick. I appreciate it this morning. And before I begin this morning, I just want to reemphasize what Pastor Dan mentioned in our announcement time, and that is that we do have the Children's Sunday School Christmas program tonight. And I will assure you of one thing, you will be uh, encouraged and blessed if you come tonight. You will be. You'll be encouraged and blessed, and it'll be well worth your time to come as we continue to worship together. This morning, as I mentioned last week, we're taking a break from our series on the attributes of God to focus today, the 17th and the 24th, on Christmas. So a three-part Christmas series that I'll be doing, and we'll be looking at some very familiar passages of Scripture on the birth of Christ this year. Always, always seeking to look at them with fresh eyes and fresh hearts and continuing to be amazed with childlike faith at the birth of our Savior. This morning, the passage we're going to look at is Luke chapter 1, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there. Um, if you're visiting this morning and you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles under the chairs in front of you that you can use. If you're visiting this morning and you don't own a Bible, that Bible is yours. It's yours to keep free of charge. We'd love for you to have it and for you to have the Word of God in your hands. If you're watching by live stream this morning, I think you'll easily follow along. Most of the uh, verses will be on the screen. A couple of them won't be, but I'll give you the reference and you'll, I think, again, easily be able to follow along. In Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 35, we read this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be? since I am a virgin. And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Our first point this morning is How Long, O Lord? And that's actually the title of my message this morning. One of the most frequently asked questions throughout church history is, How long, O Lord? How long, O Lord? You know, when we watch the news, we have many 
emotions. And I've had quite a few people share this with me. And I've got to admit, I'm a little bit of a news junkie. Maybe some of you don't watch the news as much, but it certainly elicits different kinds of emotions. And every age in this fallen world, God's people have lived in troubled times, and we are no exception. We look at our world right now, and we see two major wars going on, the one with Russia and Ukraine. And if you've been following the news, you may know that Russia is ramping up its military efforts in Ukraine. Vladimir Putin is almost certain to be serving another term um, very shortly here. And then we have the conflict between Israel and Hamas, the unexpected, unprecedented attack of Hamas on Israel and their sovereign right to defend themselves and to retaliate. And that has been a major conflict, horrific war crimes being committed. And to go along with that, we see just this frightening, this absolutely frightening increase in anti-Semitism throughout the world. And even right here in the United States, especially on college campuses, some people are saying this is an increase in anti-Semitism unlike we have seen since World War II. And then to add to that, we see just the moral, the ongoing, daily in the news, moral confusion in our country, confusion about gender, confusion about marriage. We see pro-abortion groups sadly, so sadly winning significant victories in certain states enshrining so-called reproductive rights in state constitutions, including, including our own state, with Proposal 3. And then to add to that, we see, and it just seems like almost every week we see these groups of people in hoodies and masks going into stores in big cities and just absolutely taking whatever they want, looting the place, and then leaving. And the police are being asked to stand down, and no one's being prosecuted. And we're like, what's going on? What's going on? And when we watch these things, sometimes we become frustrated. Sometimes we become angry. You ever feel like that when you watch the news? We just become angry. Sometimes we become discouraged, we become depressed even. And we have this feeling of helplessness. I just feel so helpless watching what's going on. And so there is this cry among God's people. Why does God allow these things to keep happening? I've had some people in our congregation tell me they've stopped watching the news because it just makes them so emotional. And I understand. I get that. We think, why doesn't God do something? And there's this part of us 
that is crying out, how long? How long will it be until Jesus returns and makes things right? How long will it be until there is true justice and righteousness and peace on the earth? And I just want you to know this morning that this has been the cry of God's people throughout church history and throughout biblical history, even before the church was established. I, let me give you some examples. A very famous example of this is found during the time of the tribulation as prophesied in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. This isn't on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. During the tribulation, many of God's faithful servants will be killed for their faith. And they will wait as the tribulation plays out. And here's what it says. When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. I want you to think about their cry. O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long? And it says they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer. In the New International Version, it says they were told to wait a little longer. In Psalm 13 and verses 1 through 2, David, King David says this, How long, O Lord? Will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Some of you may remember, let's go back to the very beginning of 2023. In January and February, I preached through the little book of Habakkuk. And if you remember, this was one of the questions that Habakkuk asked. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. How, excuse me, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? How long, O Lord? And if you remember, from the book of Habakkuk, he was wrestling with two different questions. How long will you allow your own people to continue in their sin? And then, oh Lord, how can you bring the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, a people who are more sinful than us, to punish us? So you're going to bring the Babylonians, who are even more sinful than us, to punish us. And so Habakkuk cries out, how long? Two of the most frequently asked questions that I get, especially over the last few years, are these. Are we living in the last days? And are we living in the end times? I get those questions quite often. Now, they tend to come up more at some times than others, like during COVID. 
A lot of people ask that question. Are we living in the last days? Are we living in the end times? And now, with what's happening in Israel, and understandably so, people are asking questions like these. I want to remind you of something. I've shared this with you before, but I think it's good to go back over it again. When we talk about the last days, technically, in the New Testament, the last days are the entire time from the first coming of Christ to the second coming of Christ. So are we living in the last days? Yes, we are, and so have all Christians throughout church history. So it depends on what you mean when you ask that question. Some people have asked me, Pastor Tim, do you think we're living in the tribulation? And my answer is, I hope not. Because if we are, we all miss the rapture and we've all left, been left behind. No, we are not living in the tribulation because we are waiting for the rapture of the church. And after the rapture of the church will come seven years of tribulation followed by the physical, visible return of Christ to the earth to defeat his enemies and set up his millennial kingdom, which will then be followed by the new heaven and the new earth. The rapture of the church has not yet taken place, so no, we are not living in the tribulation. But most often, what people mean when they ask me that question is this. Pastor Tim, do you think we're getting close to the rapture? Do you think the events of the world indicate that we are getting near the time of the rapture? And here is the biblical answer, okay? I don't know. I don't know. We could be, but it may be a ways off yet. Maybe many years off yet. It could be tomorrow. As a church, we believe in the imminent rapture of the church, which means it could happen at any time. Okay, so I don't know. It could be soon. It may not be for many years. I don't know. And it's been fascinating over the course of church history how people have been not only fascinated but even obsessed with trying to predict the rapture of the church, the second coming of Christ to rapture his bride. I, would, I did a study on it this week. Fascinating. I, I could take a long time, I won't. I want to just give you some examples of how this has consumed God's people over the years. And it actually goes back all the way to the second century. So this has been going on a long time. But in the 1700s, there was a man named Richard Brothers who believed he had figured out that Christ was going to return and set up his millennial kingdom in 1795. He was just convinced of it and had convinced others as well. An example that I've shared with you before was William Miller in the 1800s. His followers were called the Millerites, very famous account in church history, large group of followers that he had. He was kind of a pastor evangelist and he had figured out what he thought was the specific date of the return of Christ, and he was preaching that Christ was going to return on October 22nd, 1844. He had it down to the point that hundreds of people sold their homes and their possessions 
and went out on a large hill and were waiting for the return of Christ. As I was reading about this, when Adolf Hitler was ruling in Nazi Germany, I read that here in the States, there was an absolute frenzy among Bible-believing Christians that Adolf Hitler was the Antichrist. They thought it was, and you can understand why they thought that, because of so much of the world that he was taking over at that time. Are you familiar with the date, May 14th, 1948? Are you familiar with that date? It's the day that Israel became a nation. The first time the Jewish people had their own state in over 2,000 years. And Christians were saying, this is it. The Jewish people have come back to Israel. This is it. This is when the rapture is going to happen. I was reading that in 1988, there was a whole group of people who thought Juan Carlos, king of Spain, was the Antichrist and that he was going to set up a revived Roman Empire. Some of you may remember Harold Camping, the famous evangelist on the radio, who in 1994 wrote a book called 1994 and had figured out, or he thought, that Christ was returning in 1994. Obviously, it didn't happen, but he was undeterred. Fifteen years later, 15, 16 years later, um, he again announced that he had recalculated the return of Christ to rapture his church, and it was going to happen on May 21st, 2011. Some of you may remember that. There were people, I remember talking to people who said, you know, I think he's a little crazy, but you never know. You never know. I think we should be ready. And... You know, and, and some of this got pretty crazy. I can still remember, I'm old enough to remember, some people thought Ronald Reagan was the Antichrist because his name, Ronald Wilson Reagan, all three names have six letters. Six, six, six. It's got to be, doesn't it? It's got to be Ronald Reagan. They had it figured out. Folks, want to give you a tip this morning. And I believe there's lots of scripture to support this. You don't have to worry about the date. You don't have to worry about who the Antichrist is. I think ever since I was a little boy, I've heard people say, do you think the Antichrist is alive right now? I don't know. I don't know if he is or isn't, but I would encourage you not to worry about it. Here's what you need to do as a Bible-believing Christian. Always be ready. Always be ready. You need to always be ready for two things. That you may die and Christ may return. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. It could happen any day. You may die and Christ may return. I want to take a lot of pressure off you. If you're ready every single day for the return of Christ, you don't have to worry about all the details. You don't. Always be ready. So, why is God waiting? Why is God waiting, at least from our perspective, for so long? I want to give you three reasons. There are more than three, but these are three basic reasons that God is waiting so long. 
First and most important, he's waiting for people to be saved. He's waiting for the lost to come to him. Second, and this is important for us, especially as a missions-minded, mission-centered church, God is waiting for the gospel to go to every people group on the earth. And we need to be a part of taking that gospel to every people group on the earth. In Matthew 24, 14, it says this, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. And then the end will come. Number three, God is waiting for the perfect timing of his divine plan to be fulfilled. Don't worry, God's right on time. His perfect plan is being worked out behind the scenes every second of every minute of every day. Two key verses. They're actually back to back, but I'm going to read them separately. 2 Peter 3.8. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So these last 2,000 years have been like two days for God. He simply doesn't see time the way that you do. What seems so long to us is not to God. He sees everything, all the time, beginning to end. 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Other versions have that all should come to repentance. Oh, God is so patient. As we preach the gospel, as our missionaries take the gospel to the ends of the earth, he is so patient, waiting. Aren't you glad he waited for you? And he's waiting for others. The Holy Spirit is at work today and around the world. So, a big question you may be asking this morning is, Pastor Tim, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? And I want to submit to you this morning, it has everything to do with Christmas. Everything to do with Christmas. Our second point this morning is the birth of Jesus and our great hope. God designed the birth of Jesus the Christ to give his people great strength, courage, and hope. We're looking at a very familiar passage of scripture. The angel Gabriel comes to Mary and announces that she is going to bear a son, but he is no ordinary son. This passage is filled with emotion. And I have preached on this passage at Christmas time for many years. In fact, some of you may remember last Christmas, I did an entire message on one phrase from this passage, his kingdom will never end. Just one passage, but what I want us to do this morning is look at it from a little different angle. I want us to try to capture the motion, excuse me, the emotion and amazement of this moment, of this moment in time. I want you to be thinking the long-awaited Messiah came into the world. At this time, hundreds and hundreds of years of prophecy were now being fulfilled 
salvation had come into the world. God was about to walk among us. And in part, in part, God answers the question, how long? Folks, this is part one. We're waiting for part two. In the sixth month, if you read the context of Luke chapter one, the first part of the chapter is about Elizabeth and Zechariah who would become the parents of John the Baptist. The last part of Luke one is about Zechariah and the birth of John the Baptist and sandwiched in between is Mary. In the sixth month is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And what I want us to see this morning in a moment of time, it's all about to happen. It's all about to happen. They had waited and they had waited and they had waited and now it's happening. Now all of a sudden, it's all happening. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. Again, we've heard this so many times. I've heard this so many times. We need to grasp that an angel from heaven comes and appears and speaks to a young Hebrew girl. This is a supernatural, miraculous happening at this moment of time in history. And understandably, verse 29, but she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Mary was understandably frightened, scared. What was this all about? She tried to discern what kind of greeting this may be. And the angel very tenderly comforts her. Don't be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. God has chosen you for this great assignment. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. An angel also came to Joseph and said, you are to name your son Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then he describes the child that she is going to give birth to. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. He is going to be the Son of God. The Son of God was about to come into the world, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. I've shared this with you before. As primarily Gentiles, we have a hard time grasping how astounding this was. The Jewish people had waited throughout biblical history, throughout the entirety of the Old Testament, 
Where is the descendant of David who will sit on David's throne? Not just one of his human successors, but the final one. When will he come? And the angel says, Mary, your son is that man. He will be given the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. He won't have a marked out kingship like Saul did, or Solomon did, or David did. It won't be marked by years. It will be forever. It will be forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. It will be an everlasting, never-ending kingdom. This was a momentous time, not only in the history of the world, but in the history of the entire universe. And Mary said to the angel, how will this be? Since I am a virgin, I haven't had any relations with a man. And the angel answered her, I know this is the hand of God that will come upon you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Mary, God is going to place a child in your womb and you will give birth to him and he will be the answer to all of your prayers and all of your pleas and all of your cries and the pleas and cries and prayers of all of your people throughout history. He is the answer. God has come. And so to all of us I say this morning, every single one of us, Christmas is the great reminder that God hears every one of our prayers, pleas, and cries to him. It's okay. It is okay for you to say, how long, O Lord, how long? It is okay because he hears that. And when you watch the news and you get angry and you get frustrated and you get discouraged and you say, how long, O Lord, I want you to know this morning he hears your prayers. Christmas is the guarantee that Jesus is going to return at exactly the right time. He came the first time right on time. He will come the second time right on time. Right on time. On Wednesday nights, a group of us men are working through the New Testament book of James. And a couple of weeks ago, we came to James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. And I want you to think about something when I'm reading this. The book of James is believed to have been written. It's the earliest of the New Testament books. I don't know if you're aware of that. But it, it's believed, uh, the New Testament epistles, I should say, it's the first of them to be written, believed to be written about A.D. 48, 49. So, James writes this to believers just like us 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago. I want you to think about this as I read this. Imagine that you're living at the time that James writes this. James 5, 7 and 8. Be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and the late rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. 
Another translation has, the coming of the Lord is near. He's, he wrote that 2,000 years ago. 2,000 years ago, he said, be patient until the coming of the Lord. Be patient, establish your hearts. The coming of the Lord is near. Did you know they anticipated the return of Christ just like we do? Be like the farmer who plants the seeds and waits for the rain, and the harvest will come. The harvest will come. Jesus will come. So I say to all of us, our brothers and sisters in Christ have been waiting a long time, and obviously it's nearer now than it was back then. But we don't know how long. But we can pray, Lord, we look forward to that day. How long, oh Lord? How long? We long for you. We long for you. So I say to every one of us this Christmas season, keep waiting patiently. Keep waiting patiently because Christmas reminds all of us that he's coming. Let's pray. Father, fill every one of us with your strength, your courage, and your hope. As we cry out, how long, O Lord, let us turn to the word of God for assurance that your divine plan is right on time. Help us. Help us to wait patiently. Help us to wait in loving obedience, wanting to know you deeper and to please you every single day. Help us to always be ready. Never let us forget that just as you came the first time, you will come again. In Jesus' name, amen.